Hello folks and welcome to a new episode at the Storyline. We've been working on recurating and rebranding the Storyline to bring in stories which inspire and instigate you to embrace authenticity. And today it is such an honor for me to have such an esteemed guest with us, Bhairavi, who is the founder of the Mitra Trust. Telling you all a little bit about Bhairavi, she is a psychologist and the founder of Mitra Trust. She graduated from Women's Christian College, Chennai, and is a work and organizational psychologist from the University of Nottingham. Mitra, which means friend in Sanskrit, the Mitra Trust, launched in 2018, engages on positive mental health by providing information, workshops, tools, and services in a way a friend would. Mitra Trust launched the first of its kind self-discovery tool in India. The Mare Kit Riding Out Depression in 2019, which has since shipped across the country. Mitra also offers a free resource to help have supportive conversations around difficult topics, the What to Say series. This has served as a guide to have supportive conversations with topics like suicide, grief, miscarriage, abortion, sexual assault, depression, sexual identity, and so much more. Bhairavi has a deep passion for mental wellness, social innovation, digital health, and youth leadership. She loves to be in nature, either underwater with sea creatures or walking up hills. So we have a very interesting guest with us today who will be sharing her story and the journey of initiating and beginning something as powerful as the Mitra Trust. This organization has helped me come a very long way with my mental health. I follow them on their social media and in my toughest of days when I struggled with depression and anxiety, the little work that they put out there has done enormous difference to my life and I am genuinely very, very excited to have this conversation with Bhairavi. So let's get conversing. Okay, hello Bhairavi and welcome on board. So our audience have heard a little about you, but I think today's podcast is about getting to know you a little more. So let's begin with asking you, what's your story with Mitra Trust? How did you decide to start this? Hey Pooja, so that's like a really big story. <laughs> so I'm going to try to keep it like, um, yeah, try to keep it somewhere cohesive. Let's okay. see how it goes. I'm going to attempt it. Yeah. Um, so basically, I was, uh, I've had my own experiences with mental health issues, mm-hmm. um, but I think I've gone to like seven, eight different therapists, like ever since high school, all the way through college, and nothing really fit, like none of them were able to figure out what was going on, mm-hmm. and then finally one therapist told me, hey, you have depression, and the minute she said it, and she started talking about, you know, the kind of depression I have, things just started to make sense. Mm-hmm. And that's the whole thing around, you know, naming it to tame it. And I was just like, yes, now that I know what it is, I'm able to come up with um, just an understanding and compassion towards myself of all these things that I've been going through since uh, a very young age. Mm-hmm. And what that did was it gave me the sense of um, just, like I said, compassion towards myself and understanding. And almost it, it was almost like I had control over my life again. 
which is actually quite silly because none of us really have control over our lives right but uh, yeah things just started to make sense and that that was a pretty um, important moment for me and there's also a parallel storyline in all of this which is um, when i was in high school there was a student who joined and um, they were kind of troubled i was told i was called in by my principal who said listen you got to take care of them you got to look out for them which is very strange for me because these kind of roles were always given to like defects and like a grade students and i was in one of those yeah. so i was like why me and you know typical teenage angst i'm like why me like why mm-hmm. why am i being made to do this kind of a thing um but i was there and then i became really close to the family as well the mother would call like before school and after school and give me updates about the person and few years down the line uh, when i was doing my masters i got a call and i realized that um this person had taken their own life oh. so that for me like the weight of that was very very heavy though i hadn't really processed it to that point yeah um i carried it through almost with every job that i subsequently was in mm-hmm. um and i was doing really well in those jobs so I was working in I, I did uh, work in organizational psychology and I was working as a HR business partner in London and then I moved to India and then I did HR consulting but everything was always short it was always like one year one and a half years two years like I just didn't feel that sense of connection to what I was doing that sense of purpose yeah um and then I started doing school mental health I was an intrapreneur and um within an organization i basically set up a division and the minute i started doing school mental health and setting up these services that's when i felt that sense of purpose come in right and that's when that understanding of okay i have been carrying this for so many years without even realizing that this is what it was right and life started to make a lot more sense to me mm-hmm. our decisions started to seem very different what i was going towards uh, seemed very different um but this was still a good 6 years um away from me actually starting mitra mm-hmm. but that entire process um and why i began mitra trust and that too as a not for profit was just this understanding that you know as a psychologist i still found mental health information very inaccessible it was very medical it was very illness focused right and i wanted to bring in that sense of warmth that sense of community where you're like you know what whole bunch of us are going through things together let's form a community around it let's talk about it let's try to share tools and resources and let's do this outside of therapy and right. mental health is often just associated with therapy and people think yeah you go to therapy you fix everything but therapy is kind of one of the many things that you can do for your mental health and that's basically you know where mitra kind of came about my personal story in addition to just this entire gap that i saw mm-hmm. um with with mental health and the services available at that time right that's beautiful but uh, if i can ask how long have you how long has it been since you started mitra trust um not too long yeah it's, it's about 3 3 years now um, okay it feels very new it feels very recent but at the same time it feels like i've been doing this for a really long time i must say i thought you guys were uh, longer as well because of the impact that you're creating does yeah. not feel like it's just been 3 years <laughs> so yeah so um that's wonderful beravi i was always very intrigued by what you all do and i'm really glad i'm able to have this conversation so as an organization today do you have like a very strong uh, philosophy as such that sort of drives the team um so everyone who works with us is pretty um owning of their own lived experiences yeah 
so it's not that we it's not that we preach it's not that we're like hey we're better than you because we're professionals mm-hmm. it's more from the sake of hey i'm in this journey along with you and these are tools that have helped me and maybe they can help you too so right. i do a i do a weekly discussion forum for let's discuss the mer mm-hmm. and the mer basically came up as you know when i was a teenager i didn't really know how to talk about what i now know was depression mm-hmm. um i just i just be like i'm mer i'm mer like i'm not okay Yeah. and um going along with this whole notion of we don't want to be illness focused yeah. we don't want to talk about depression and anxiety and you know and often like the most serious mental health issues like psychosis like schizophrenia all of that kind of gets left out mm-hmm. uh, cuz you know popular instagram only ends up talking about like uh trauma which is like a very big uh, buzzword now but also just depression and anxiety so i didn't mm-hmm. want it to be illness focused i wanted yeah. it to be like Hey, if you're struggling, it doesn't matter what you're struggling with. It doesn't matter if you have a diagnosis or not. Um, just come in and let's talk about it. And that's where the mayor came from. And mm-hmm. we started. Let's discuss the mayor in Bangalore. Um, mm-hmm. And then uh, it moved virtual. We did Bangalore first, and then Chennai. We do like once a month uh, meetups in both of these right. cities. Um, mm-hmm. And then it became virtual with COVID. And um, along with that, uh, Advaita then came on board, and they brought in doodles for the mayor, writing for the mayor, writing affirmations for the mayor. so mm-hmm. different kind of ways for people to come together right and either talk about what they're going through and express what they're going through using some form so you're expressing either using talk or you're expressing using um doodling or writing right so this whole notion of bringing people together bringing the sense of community that hey we're all in this together it doesn't matter you know whether we have a label or not we're all in this together in yeah. addition to self expression that's kind yeah. of our core Mhm and I think that's um super nice because I think one of your taglines is to create safe spaces Absolutely. right yeah. and um, I think when I was diagnosed with depression and anxiety the first thing that sort of um, the first re- I'd say rather reaction was oh my god now I'm part of the taboo yeah. right like how am I going to deal with it will mm-hmm. I ever find a community which yeah. I can resonate with and yeah. I think that's why I'm such a big fan of the work you do right because it feels safe like yeah. i've written to you a couple of times Absolutely. also about yeah. doodling and things yeah. that way yeah. so i think like you said self expression and that's um, that's beautiful so thank you for doing this for the community and thank you for engaging with it and that's a beautiful part no it's not that you have right. to come for every session it's there when you need it yeah, and you I'm, know it's there it's that sense of dependability almost that hey in the weekend no matter what i can go for any of the session it's a bit yeah for, for sure So also Bhairavi if um, you're okay with it would yeah. you want to share your experience with mental health what was it um, you know because um, th- the reason I started this mm-hmm. podcast was when I was struggling with mental illness mm-hmm. I really wished there were more people who spoke about it like yeah. I'd always you know google and say what does depression or anxiety yeah. feel like because it feels really alone So if you're okay with it can you tell us what your experience was Sure Pooja absolutely and 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 the beautiful thing about this is you know if you talk to if, if you line up 10 people who've all had like the same diagnosis of depression right. so mine was dysthymia so who have the same diagnosis of dysthymia each mm-hmm. one will have like a different reaction or a different story to tell you For sure and yeah. that was one of the reasons why I wanted to create this community because I was like no one really experiences what I go through. Mhm. Um so what happened was I was very high functioning and mm-hmm. that comes with its own issues because on the outside it seems like everything's okay I have all of these masks on 
people mm-hmm. were, I was super social. People were like, oh my God, so like full of life, doing great at work at that point in time. Mm-hmm. Um, I was achieving things which uh, were on my like list of goals. Right. And um, something was missing. Something huge was missing. And this was kind of like the breaking point with everything. And of course, as usual, like in your early 20s at that point in time for me, there was one particular situation with a boy which was mm-hmm. like completely draining me. And I was like, everything has to be like related to this. This is the cause <laughs> of all my problems. Because what else could it be? It can't be like my mental health. It has to be this person <laughs> and everything yeah. that they stand for. Which is what we often tend to do at that time, like when we're dating and all of that. Anyway. Yeah. So um, what ended up happening was I had, I pretty much imploded at that point in time. So the situation with this boy was kind of like a trigger for me. Right. And um, everything just started to fall apart slowly mm-hmm. and then all at once. So I became less social. Um, I was doing a lot of like community work at that point in time. I was part of many organizations that did a lot of outreach work. I slowly started like pulling away from that. Um, I used to go out a lot. I used to party a lot. Slowly started mm-hmm. pulling away from that. Uh, mm-hmm. I started working a lot more because right. that became a very legitimate excuse mm-hmm. that, you know what, I'm focusing on this. My priority is this. Um, I started withdrawing a lot from the people at home. My friends kind of were like, something's up. But again, we ended up rationalizing everything to the situation with this guy. Um, And it just, at work, I hated what I was doing, which is very um, new to me. Because I just found what I was doing and I was so excited about it. And I'd achieved so much in such Mm -hmm. a short period of time. Um, And I didn't want to go to work. And I'd, I'd just wake up in the morning with this sense of dread. And I'd be like, I don't know what's going on. I was falling sick a lot, like physically. I was just completely breaking down. Um, I was smoking more than usual. I was drinking more than usual. Those were my coping mechanisms at that point in time. So just overall, there were a lot of things changing. Mm -hmm. And then I felt very sick and I had to be hospitalized. So at that time, there was like this doctor that came and said that, um, you know, you seem to have had a nervous breakdown or something like that. I said, what are you talking about? Like, I have a stomach problem for which I'm here. Like, I caught a bug in, you know. This, yeah. this is a very physical thing. This isn't a mental thing. Right. Um, but then slowly, as I kind of worked through that time period, I decided to take some time off from work. I took a sabbatical. And I realized that I had, like, a proper burnout. So burnout, until very recently, wasn't even, like, clinically diagnosable. People right. would just say, oh, I'm so burnt out. Like, oh, you know, I'm mm-hmm. shattered after a weekend kind of thing. It yeah. wouldn't, it wasn't like the series of symptoms that you have towards something. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got that diagnosis at that point in time. And then I met this therapist who basically told me about my dysthymia and kind of diagnosed me with it. And I started mm-hmm. working with her. Mm-hmm. And um, I was one of those people that was very, at that point in time, especially, I was very committed to understanding these facets of myself and wanting to do better and wanting to be better just for myself. Because so many things that I thought were very me had just kind of crumpled and broken down. Yeah. And this tag of depression was oddly freeing, Mm -hmm. even though I was like, I really don't want to tell anybody about this because it doesn't matter if I have it or not. Yeah. But at that time, I didn't realize that that was my own kind of internalized stigma. Um. So yeah, that process then and finding this therapist at that time, like, um, and I always say like, uh, this therapist was 
oddly cracked like I was in that we were both like these broken teapots and we'd show each other like here are my cracks, here are your cracks and it's legit cracked parts. Um, but, and that for me was freeing mm-hmm. because this wasn't somebody, you know, saying, oh my God, I'm perfect and this is my life and I'm sitting on this pedestal and talking down to you and explaining things to you. So the progress I made because of the connection that we then had was mm-hmm. very fast. It was huge. Um, and I started understanding about my, you know, tiny little depressive episodes that I'd have and what that could look like and what this whole high functionality of it, how that kind of led to burnout. So burnout has a whole set of steps that you can get into. And right. one of those steps is depression. And then mm-hmm. there's also a medical condition. So when I read that about burnout and I ended up writing about it at that point in time, um, I'll yeah. send you that link. But right. At that point in time, when I read it, it just made so much sense. Like the signs and symptoms, I was like, yep, this was me. This is the path that I was going down on. And here's my, you know, diagnosis of this time. Yeah, and being like very um, high functioning. Yeah. No one really knew. Mm-hmm. So that's the story with that. That's that's um, really fascinating considering you spoke about uh, a burnout, right? Mm-hmm. So I was, for me also, it triggered from a burnout where mm-hmm. I think my gut was, I think, a very similar yeah. thing. Yeah. And, um, and I think by the time, like when I was diagnosed with it, I knew there was something like a burnout, mm-hmm. but it was all the more exhausting to explain to someone that I'm burnt out. Yeah. Like people would tell me, you're 21, exactly. what are you burnt out of, exactly. right? Like life's just begun. Yeah. And, and I think that's when it feels like, okay, you know what? Maybe this is just in my head. It yeah. is in my head, yeah. but it's bigger. I mean, it's not normal to be feeling, um, you know, like, um, yeah. So I think that disapproval, like I was mm. genuinely very dismissed from yeah. anybody I spoke to about a burnout. Mm. But I'm glad. I think we should be really happy that today it's a more spoken about yeah, it concept. Is. Right. And even that you see um, some of the older practitioners who who don't really keep up with the times, like who don't right. need new research, um, mm-hmm. they won't know, they'll kind of dismiss it as, oh, this generation, they're just like yeah. this. But then those who actually keep up with it, they'll be like, okay, so you know what, the WHO has actually come in and said that mm-hmm. this is very real and has also added to the legitimacy of it all. Right. Um, but it really depends on who you find and how good they are, and which is the sad thing about mental health, I guess, not just in our country, this is an issue everywhere. Yeah. Just in terms of, you know, how do you know your therapist is an actual safe space? And I, I, the, the kind of horrors that I went through, like with the mm-hmm. different kinds of therapists, just the kinds of things they say, just being yeah. completely and totally dismissed. And then having that courage, because it is true courage to go back out there again and put oh, yourself true. through it again and kind of be like, okay, maybe this time it's this person. Very yeah. similar to dating. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I think, uh, and it's so important, right, to find the right therapist. Yeah, and sure. uh, I think therapy is also a lot of hard work. Like it I'd is. say, yeah. self-work is a lot of hard work. Absolutely. Everybody talks about professional hard work, yeah. right? But to show up there, there's a lot of work you got to do on yourself. And I think getting the right therapist is part of that process Absolutely. too. Right. Um, so I think this also has evolved you to a whole different person that you are today. So what is your philosophy as an individual to sort of show up and do what you love every day? Um, one of the biggest things that I actually had to work on was I always had this thing and, and I'm sure this is relatable to a lot of people. 
Um, and if it's not relatable to you, wow, are you lucky? I used to be in this zone where I'd be like, oh, what, my head says something, my heart says something else. Oh, yeah. So to work through that took me so much of time. Yeah. Um, and that kind of brings in everything, like everything that I had to work on. Self-talk was so bad. Like my self-talk can get so negative. And that's mm-hmm. also how I know I'm going into like a depressive episode. Right. Um, just keeping an eye on my self-talk, it, it's very evident as to, you know, what's happening. It can be mm-hmm. very caustic, like, like really, really, really horrible. Yeah. Um, so I basically had to kind of start looking at how do I bring my kind of head and heart together um, and, and started to look for alignment. And yeah. that, that process um, took a really long time. And mm-hmm. it involved a lot of therapy, a lot of healing, a lot of personal development work, and energy work, like a whole bunch of different things. Right. Um, until it finally happened. Mm-hmm. So in everything that I do now, I make sure that there is alignment. That, yeah. you know, it's almost like every part of my body, like head, heart, feet, like whole, like top to toe, are all aligned and want the same thing. Mm-hmm. And are going towards the same thing. So if something feels off, then I don't do it. I just sit with it and I don't. Um, yeah. If I'm confused about something, that's inaction for me. So I don't act on it, which right. is a lot of unlearning to do. Um, so earlier, if I was confused about something, I'll try to sit and find out what, you know, where's the confusion coming from? What do I have to do with it? These days, I'm like, okay, if I'm confused, it means I'm not going to act mm-hmm. until something comes up, which it doesn't have me. Yeah, um, so I think that is with a lot of awareness that you've built, a lot of work that you've done yeah, on yourself, yeah, right? That we are able to draw that line. Yeah, 10 years of work, yeah. Yeah, 10 years, wow. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the next thing I'd want to sort of ask you is, I'm sure it's been a huge learning curve for you as well, right? Being a psychologist, running Mitra Trust. So what's your biggest learning running a heartwarming organization like this? I don't know if there'd be one learning, but if you'd want to share a few experiences. There are so many. So, um, you know, because I moved from, um, I moved from like a very for-profit um, mental health space to a not-for-profit space. Right. I had to learn so much about the dev sector. So I went in and I did a program uh, mm-hmm. with the Amani Institute and became like a social um, change maker, basically. Okay. Uh, it's like a social innovation management program. Mm-hmm. And that for me was one very important because there's this tendency in our country to be like, yes, I have privilege, so let me go solve all of these problems because I want to. Mm-hmm. Um, but many times we don't realize the kind of privilege we have ends up causing more harm. So yeah. it's almost like my intentions are great, but my actions are very misguided. Right. So who's around to give you that you know, reality check? So I think the biggest learning that I had was in that program. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a lot of changes in, within myself that I had to kind of recognize and see. Yeah. Um, and what that time also gave me was this ability to think about it from the long term. The social change is hard. Nobody wants yeah. to change. Nobody's waiting, saying, come by to me. I'll do your sessions. I'll change my <laughs> life around and you know, become right. an overall balanced human being. Mm-hmm. Um, no one's really thinking about it that way. We're just swimming with, you know, everyday suffering and we're so caught up in it. So I'm like, okay, how do I, how do I anchor into my why? What is my why? Um, so when times get really tough, when we don't have funding, when no one can really understand, because most of the time when I, you know, I'm having conversations with funders, yeah. they're like, okay, you're, you don't do therapy. You don't offer treatment. You're not a hospital. 
you're not working uh, with you know you're not working with government schools you don't have a social emotional learning program um you're not in vernacular yeah uh, what are you doing who are these all these you know all of these people that you support they can speak english they're in college they have education um or they're working jobs or they've just lost jobs they can afford it why 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 is it that you know you, you need to give it to them at no cost yeah so kind of explaining how mental health has its own marginalizations in the people that we kind of work with whether it's the queer community or those who face physical emotional sexual violence Right. um how they don't have access to mm-hmm. safe spaces how they don't have access to financial support to aid in their kind of healing growth recovery um yeah. learning to say that and stand very firmly in that over these 3 years has been a journey mm-hmm. because there are still people that almost look at me like yeah i mean wouldn't you just be better off like feeding people like <laughs> do use your ngo to do that kind of work and I've learned not to take um, things like that very seriously because I know the kind of work we do. I know the kind of lives that we're impacting. I, I see it every weekend. Yeah. Um. So kind of finding the the strength to anchor into that has been mm-hmm. has been that journey, and that's where this alignment comes in. So there are a lot of people that will be like, "Here, I'll give you funding, but can mm-hmm. you do this or can you serve this?" Yeah. So to keep coming back to my why of okay, who are we serving? What are we doing? Why are we here? Yeah. Um that's been that's been a huge kind of learning um through this time. Yeah. And um as an organization I mean we're all we all of us have lived experiences. So how do we work with each other? Yeah. Um how do we not trigger each other? How do we have conversations where even if we do trigger each other which is inevitable mm-hmm. that we can kind of um work through it that it's a truly safe space for you to express yourself where you don't feel um you know where you're not judged for or you're not uh, diminished for right. speaking your truth and expressing how you feel um, yeah and to do so in a way where you don't bring the other person down as well mm-hmm. so it's pretty much like what we do in our sessions we kind of Practice. do within the workplace as well right. yeah and and that's most important right like it begins with those little moments not yeah. like one big moment or yeah. anything as such so also what i'd want to ask you is you transitioned from a very conventional job right like like you said a very profitable well paying job into something like this oh, yeah. right so i'm sure that transition was not the easiest and i think people around don't make it any easy because there's a lot of expectation i think out of what we have to do and things that way so what was that transition like like um, how quickly do you think you accepted that okay this is what i want to do or what was that like I took a really long time because um at that time I was just starting on the journey of um alignment. Mm-hmm. So because of that there were a lot of opportunities that I ended up taking up so um I went on the sabbatical and then I ended up like leaving work shortly thereafter and with that went financial stability and independence all of which I'd had throughout mm-hmm. so now suddenly not having that was changed. Right. Um and then I started taking on consulting work as had anywhere background something mm-hmm. and i worked with all sorts cuz i just had so many skills that came very naturally to me so i'd worked with um small and medium businesses on like culture or mental health programs or on like training their their, their leaders like nothing to do with what i really wanted to do but at that point in time i didn't really know what i wanted to do now yeah. like this seems interesting and it's some sort of validation right cuz others around aren't like 
oh, you're sitting around doing nothing. Like, okay, you right. have something, you're working on projects. Um, and with that, I did like a whole bunch of different projects all the way from like helping a friend like launch a sari line <laughs> to like completely and totally focusing on a, like a, a mental health AI chatbot um, that I ended up working with for some time. So right. it, it was quite wide, um, mm-hmm. but it was a journey of, I think, maybe four or five years okay. before I finally felt like, okay, what I'm doing is in the not-for-profit world. I don't know. It's just a jump that I've got to take. Mm-hmm. And because by then I had reached that point of alignment. Right. Um, but through that process, like these were all the kind of, and, and I could, I was very aware of why I did it. I was like, okay, it's been how many ever months since I've done something. These yeah. projects come up. I can't say no because I don't have a good enough reason to say no. Plus right. it's going to get everybody off my back. Plus I'm going to feel better if I get like a little bit of money in. Um, so I could see why I was doing it, Mm -hmm. but also like, again, it comes from privilege, no, having four or five years where you can kind of flounder about and not really have a monthly paycheck coming in, not really have that much of savings and, um, still find it in yourself to leave consulting jobs to be like, no, this is not it Mm -hmm. that I'm still on that path of finding myself without, so this privilege in because when you leave, you're still jumping into the unknown and you right. have privilege there. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I had this sense of self. I don't know where it came from. But right. to not care about what the outside world thought of what I was doing in those four five years. Yeah. Because um, sure. constantly people will be like, oh my God, you did this, you did this. Ex-colleagues will be like, what are you doing? Do you need investments? Like we want to like, oh, are you in the startup world? Are you this? Are you that? Because yeah. I was associated with so many different things. Mm-hmm. Um, that it just became so I didn't ever feel bad saying no I'm not doing that anymore yeah. um, I don't really know what I'm doing which mm-hmm. a lot of people do feel you know you get that sense of regret or shame or low self-confidence or what would people think kind of thing starts coming in plus yeah. you know everybody around you is just like really what is going on mm-hmm. so um, yeah it, it wasn't an easy period at that point in time but again I was I, I was consistently um, in addition to therapy, I was doing like a whole bunch of other stuff, mm-hmm. which really helped with the alignment of it all. Yeah. And when this finally happened, again, it wasn't an easy journey. I knew nothing about the not-for-profit space. I didn't know anything about anything. Like government stuff takes so long. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was used to the startup world. So I'm like, yeah, I'm going to like put this together. These are my goals. In like six months, we're going to achieve it. Right. And then I'm like, hello, you don't have money. <laughs> need people to achieve things at this pace. Right. So even kind of telling myself that the pace is different. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I, I just think like getting into this social entrepreneur mindset is very different. I had to go from making five-year plans to like next three months what's going to happen to what's going to happen this month. Right. And just, you know, focusing on the small things and focusing more on the now. These are yeah. huge changes to me. Yeah, and I think that is a huge um, sign of progress as well, right? I think uh, yeah. you're redefining what ambition is, what success is, yeah. and I think your own purpose, your own anchor point in um, life. Yeah. And I think uh, what you said about privilege is a super interesting thing because I know how many sessions I've spent, mm. right, talking to a therapist about how guilty I am of yeah. being privileged. Yeah. Right? Like I still remember my first session when my therapist asked me, what is your biggest struggle right now? Mm. I told her, I don't think I have the right to feel this sad because mm. I don't have any big problem, 
yeah, right yeah. so i think privilege like you said your intentions are right but it can guide misguide you in like Absolutely. so many ways Absolutely. so i think you because you're like um, you did speak a little about it that when you speak to people about funding there's so many things that people are still sort of caught up with when it comes to mental health yeah. firstly a lot of people who've not experienced it mm. assume and you know there's so many uh, taboos still related to yeah. it so what do you think as somebody who's out there working constantly to bring in that change right on a daily basis to create the safe space what are some uh, what do you think has to change with the approach i think in the world we're living in today and when i say approach i i i don't know maybe i i believe that drops of water make an ocean mm. so maybe something that you could tell our audience about um just even responding choosing to respond over reacting when someone mm. comes and tells you that they're dealing with a certain issue right so what is it that you think has to sort of change with um how people are looking at mental health today the biggest thing for me would be to um just look at everything with a lens of kindness mm-hmm. and that's very hard to do and that kindness isn't just external it's also internal because in my experience i'm always harder than myself i have different um milestones and expectations of myself and you know stuff that i'd let slide for other people i won't because i have to be different for whatever reason um so bringing that kindness that lens of kindness on others but also on on ourselves that's i think one of the biggest most profound things yeah. that you know anyone can do for themselves but it starts with the smallest things mm-hmm. it just starts so small it can be giving yourself instead of 4 hours of sleep 6 hours of sleep rest is so important yeah it can be being okay with not you know delivering on something Mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that we're complacent it doesn't mean we stop holding ourselves accountable yeah it just we just slowly start operating from a different space and it, things start getting very light and again this is a process that can take many years mm-hmm. but just the smallest step towards that is just kind words to yourself kind words to others yeah i think a uh, most a uh, beautifully put across it's super simple sounds super simple yeah. but i think when you put this to um action it takes a lot of work and then you realize how um our narratives are so against us right yeah. in a lot of cases and like you said um so unconsciously right? right you sometimes aren't even aware and it's like a flood gate and when you yeah. have to sit and catch your thoughts you're like wow when did i get here <laughs> right so also uh, i think we spoke about bur- burnout by the way mm. so i'd want to sort of ask you how do you cope with a burnout like uh, what are some things you sort of resort to when you see patterns of you burning out i i mean at that point in time there was no coping there was just being burnt out now mm-hmm. i have um, like i said i've started to notice triggers yeah um and one of the things i start doing is i start saying no to, to things right um, and again that comes with alignment it comes with okay what am i prioritizing right now and being okay with it um saying okay these are the only three things i can do i'm not going to push myself to do seven things even though i can mm-hmm. i don't want to i'm choosing not to yeah. and to do that with kindness um yeah. because again at the start of the uh, you know when i started mitra there were so many opportunities that came in i felt guilty for saying no mm-hmm. i was like look somebody really wants to do this they're giving you the time they're giving the, you the effort how can you say no Mm-hmm. uh but slowly kind of being okay with it 
because yeah. doing some of those where my gut was just like don't even bother this is not going to be worth it mm-hmm. uh, but because of some narrative that i built in my head around and and i think women entrepreneurs are told this all the time you should be very grateful um never say no to a meeting yeah. um and all of this comes from a very like hustle culture mm-hmm. so starting to recognize that you know what comes from where and what you want to do and it's okay if i'm not like the biggest mental health organization in the world as long as i'm in my corner doing my thing impacting my community and my community slowly grows mm-hmm. um that's all that matters so this whole notion of depth over breadth is something that i fully embrace yeah. and i i go back to some of these things that i can anchor into at any time those thoughts kind of come in so for me the burnout was always around um high achievement and with high achievement came you know not letting go of opportunities not saying no saying yes to every meeting um just being constantly part of hustle culture um all of that and and learning how to kind of disengage from it slowly in a way that is very kind towards myself because again you can't just switch overnight yeah it's not possible and kindness doesn't come in there that's actually being very harsh on myself so slowly learning to do that is i think uh, one of the biggest things that i've done with one of but also going back to one of your previous points which i said um mm-hmm. when you were talking about privilege no and mm-hmm. and almost like saying yeah what, what what am i here for yeah that's also the way our stigma comes in with mental health mm-hmm. um most of us feel like i'm not that bad yeah there's somebody who's worse off than me who needs it Mm-hmm. um and it actually comes from this place and there's something we discuss in the sessions often where when my younger i don't know in your household but in most households in india even though our culture is so different there are some commonalities that are there mm-hmm. where you're always told finish your food there are people that need it like how can you be so horrible to not finish your food or don't waste mm-hmm. or don't want so much there are so many people that don't have anything like don't you know how uh, privileged you are you should be so grateful for what you have Yeah. you have a good family you have education here like you're constantly told this over and over and over again mm-hmm. and what ends up happening is um that just becomes internalized stigma yeah. where we're not aware of what's going on and this is you know like an example that i used common during um during covid during the first wave where we were doing um these sessions online for the first time mm-hmm. and almost everyone was like i don't know what i'm doing here like i have working internet I have a house over my head, like I have a roof over my head. I have, I have clean food. I have clean water. Um, I shouldn't be feeling this bad. Like there are people dying. There's yeah. like a humanitarian crisis. How can I be feeling bad? Mm-hmm. And that's where I mean, it's not that all the time when you compare physical and mental, it makes sense. But the example that I ended up using was okay. So let's say it's lockdown. Um, yeah. You twisted your ankle. Your, uh, you know, it's it's visibly swollen. you're not able to do any of the chores you're not able to help around the house whatever it is that you were doing everybody around the house is telling you hey sit down sit down sit down put some ice elevate your legs um, yeah. if, if you know it if they realize that it's a fracture they're going to try to do absolutely everything to get you in a cast no matter you know doctor shortages whatever whatever they they try to figure out something even right. if it doesn't happen there's some movement against it mm-hmm. but when it's mental health everybody's looking at you saying you're lazy you're telling yourself you're lazy i should be able to do this you know you just can't get out of bed that day yeah or you're just so caught up in your thoughts and you're going down these dooms doom cycles you're not able to do anything about it but because it's not visible 
Mm-hmm. We don't give ourselves that compassion, let alone anyone else. Yeah. So that's where, when you actually look at internalized stigma, this mm-hmm. is how it kind of ends up playing out. Just the same simple example of even comparing pain. Like when your ankle is, you know, swollen, are you then saying, you know, all of these migrant laborers, they're walking hundreds and thousands of kilometers, they don't even have footwear on. How can I be in pain with my ankle? Instead, yes. you're probably screaming. You're expressing your pain. Mm-hmm. You're going, ooh, ah, ouch, whatever it is. Like you're talking about it. You're giving your pain words. But right. with our mental, emotional health, we don't do that. Mm-hmm. When we cry, we try to hide and cry. Yeah. When we're screaming about our ankle, everybody can hear, see, feel, know that, you know, ankle's not okay. Mm-hmm. So this is the internalization of it. And privilege, of course, adds to it. Yeah. But this is the internalization of it that most people can then feel. And with that, we have different marginalizations playing out, right? So let's say if you're queer or any sort of historically oppressed group, which can mm-hmm. be religion, which can be caste, which can be gender identity, absolutely anything. Yeah. Um, and those then have added layers to it. So I just wanted to point out that, you know, with the whole stigma thing that you shared with your therapist, for right. most of the first wave, Mm-hmm. It was constantly being discussed in the less discussed in their sessions. We were doing mm-hmm. um, so many workshops at that point in time. Yeah. Um, just external facing and almost every single person at that point. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm glad you shared this. I think because it's comforting uh, to an extent to know that it's something that most people go through. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. I, I'm not the only one feeling uh, this way. So I think uh, the when I started to talk to people about my depressive conditions mm-hmm. or like burnouts or not being able to get out of bed, yeah. it's it's fascinating to know how many people actually go through that. Yeah. Right. So maybe um, what I want to ask you, Bhairavi, is where does a person feeling this unease start? Like I I'm grateful I took the step right and mm-hmm. I went so I got professional help I had family mm-hmm. who understood what I was going through uh, but I don't know if the support everybody has so yeah. where does somebody sort of start if they're feeling unease um, it's it's very clouded right you don't know where to begin and uh, so is there something you'd want to tell people struggling with anything at this point and they don't know where to begin I would say try not to let um this notion of I'm not that bad. Mm-hmm. It can be worse. I myself have been worse. Right now, it's not as bad as it's even been for me, let alone for anyone else. Try not to let that stop you. At any point in time when you're not feeling okay, it's a good time for therapy. Even when you're feeling okay, it's a good time for therapy. Oh, sure. um, so find those spaces. There are you know, lots of organizations that do sliding scales. Um, there are lots of organizations, especially with COVID now, there are multiple helplines that are open. Yeah. Um, so just start researching, finding organization, finding some of these spaces, um, and then find support groups, Uh, find groups. And and again, a whole bunch of them are free. Uh, Mm -hmm. Find groups, start meeting people like you, hear their stories, listen to their stories, share your stories, understand where you're at, uh, maybe learn something, or maybe just feel the lightness of venting, or just feel that, you know, for a couple of hours, I don't have to put a mask on. If I don't want to talk, if I don't want to laugh, if I just want to sit and cry in a corner and just have people around, mm-hmm. that's totally fine. Right. Um, finding a sense of community can be incredibly powerful. Yes. So it, it, it can be any, any any of these kind of steps. Start reading, start listening to podcasts where people talk about their journeys like this, like what we're doing right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and any and all of these methods really help. 
and the other part would be you know as much as you're gathering information and resources would be to start doing things what are like one or two of the smallest things that you can do which have a huge impact and for most people it it involves like sleep right it involves food okay. it involves cutting back on something so how how do you do that how do you offer yourself that um and how do you identify kind of Yeah, that's perfect. Um there's so much I have to process too from this conversation. <laughs> there's so much I've learned as well. So, thank you so much, but before I could let you go, what is that one last thing you'd want to tell our audience? Maybe there are a lot of other people out there who want to do what you're doing, right? I don't know if it's societal pressure, uh conventionality, whatever is holding them back. If there's one thing um you'd want to tell the world out there about doing where your heart really is i mean following your heart what would that be it would just be um just set and figure out your why and then once you know your why it becomes very difficult to move away from it mm-hmm. um that becomes a force in itself yeah so just sit with the why and you'll get there automatically it can take you a little bit of time it can be immediate but you'll eventually get there yes Perfect. Thank you so much. Benby. Thank you so much, Pooja. Thank you for having these conversations and giving people an avenue to, you know, listen and share and and hear and just yes. be a part of this, even if they can't come to different sessions or you know, different kinds of people that you've spoken to. Right. So giving Thank them you. that. Yes, I think, like you said, I found my wife. Yeah. So, looking awesome. back. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much, Benby. It was a great evening. So much that I learned. and you truly are very inspiring so thank you for being such a an epitome of everything that you're doing and uh, will continue to follow mitra trust and stay inspired and stay connected thank you so much thank you for that bye have a great evening you too